Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today I'm joined by Pastor Matt Pamplin from St. Clair Community Church. Hi, Chris. <laughs> hey, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> good. That was that good awkward introduction. Oh, so. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we'll just dive right in like normal. Uh, can you share a bit about your testimony with us? Sure. So uh, I grew up in the UK. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, which means I went to church most weeks. My early years were kind of in a Pentecostal church and then my parents moved house and decided to go my mom decided we should go to our local church so we ended up going to an Anglican church which is quite an interesting move away from a Pentecostal <laughs> that's a bit of a jump <laughs> yeah you know like theologically try to try some new things maybe um, but I think uh, ironically looking back it's funny the idea of geography and place uh, that has become so important to me I think even back then was being formed but I didn't realize it so my mom said we should go to our local community so we know the people and I'd say when I say Anglican I know in the UK and in Canada there's a broad spectrum of Anglicanism so it was fairly progressive so liturgical but with like a, a worship team and uh, we're doing stuff in the community and so we went there um, I at my age, I was the only kind of person of my age in the church at the time. My okay. siblings, my younger siblings, had people similar age. So they did a outreach ministry, and I kind of helped as one of the leaders. But I would say I didn't really have a peer group. Um, and also in uh, school in the UK, to be a Christian, it was kind of the era of being a Christian. Um, there was a lot of my friends who were Christians, but they were very deep undercover. Let's say that much <laughs> like no one really knew. You go to youth yeah. event and think, hang on, like you're part of a church no one really talked about it to be in a public school system not mm. everyone identified as a christian necessarily and so i'd say so i went to church but then probably my teen years uh was when i made a commitment vividly i remember being in church one day and probably not paying as much attention as i should have and then uh we started singing this song there's this old song i think the lyrics were i believe in jesus i believe i won't sing because you'll have no listeners to your podcast, um, <laughs> except for my mom, maybe. Um, it said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. And I just remember starting to like cry, which as a 15-year-old in church is not cool at all. Yeah. And then a really well-meaning little old lady came up to me, did the hand on the shoulder and said, can I, can I pray for you? And I was like, oh, I'm fine. I just have something in my eye. I'm, I'm totally doing fine. But there was this realize, I think it was, the only way I can describe it is a light bulb moment where all this stuff I think I'd heard about who God was and felt about God maybe became reality. I was like, oh, I was maybe equated to like a math. I was not very good at math right. in school, but you know, one day you're struggling with this thing and then all of a sudden you're like, oh. The light bulb clicked. Totally. That led this equation, or this makes sense. Yeah. So for me, that was it. Um, and also, one of the things I look back, I was talking to a friend about this recently, was there was an old, older lady who was a missionary lady who my mom was good friends with, who would come around for dinner. And during these early teen years, uh, it was so funny. We had nothing in common. Like, she was this older missionary lady. I was a young, like, guy, not interested in older lady missionary stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but she just shared stories of Jesus and what he was doing in the world. And I just remember thinking, I want to know Jesus like you know Jesus. Something stirred in me. Um, so I think that was a huge part of my story. Um, and then, yeah, part a big part of my story was I had a younger brother who passed away when he was 16. But he was born with like a heart 
defect. So for 16 years on and off, our family wrestled with this thing where... I mean, the fact he lived 16 years was probably a miracle, actually. But mm. but in the midst of that, dealing with a bit of like suffering and trying to figure out where's God. And so I wonder if part of my story was that interwoven. Like, oh, yeah. where is God in this? And that light bulb was a realisation, even though things can be challenging, maybe God is real in the midst of this. So yeah. that's, I could say way more, but that is it, maybe in a <laughs> nutshell. And you said two things there that stood out to me. One is where you're, you're mentioning the older missionary lady, even still like communicating to you as a teen where you're, I'm not that interested in older missionary lady things, but seeing that relationship with Christ where it's like, that that's what I want. And there's a, there's a value there. And I'd love to see more of younger people interacting with the older people where it's not like, let's, let's put the youth group off to the side where it's kind of isolated or let's put the the older people off to the side with it like let's integrate them one of the greatest myths in our church is to work with young people you have to be cool and relevant that is a myth that i think we've bought into like i remember when i did youth ministry <laughs> my youth group would always say to me Matt, you're not cool which is valid we don't want and they would say to me we don't want you to be cool we want you to be you so we can see Jesus in you. And so I'd say, yeah, some of the major mentors and people in my life weren't necessarily those who tried to be relevant to me. There were people who I knew loved me, mm-hmm. challenged me, but so loved Jesus that I thought, oh, that is... Because I didn't... I had friends. Like, I had a peer group, so I wasn't really looking for a best friend. I yeah. was looking for someone to say, hey, I'm going to call out in you kind of what God has done. So I totally agree with you. I think that idea, and that's what young people all the time are desperate for I have a lot of young adults 20 year olds who are really saying hey we want mentors and mm-hmm. fathers mothers in the faith who can just help us grow and we can see their life so yeah yeah and then when you mentioned that I think of my experience with uh, the youth center where I- I'm young at heart I'm into comic book movies and at the time I'd make Walking Dead references but if they were if they could tell when you were not being you and when you were totally. trying because then you're like, there's a commercial or something where it's like Steve Buscemi looking very old, walking up to some kids in high school, being like, what's up, fellow students? <laughs> Wearing baggy pants and he's got a skateboard. Oh, yeah. And they're like, nobody says hip and cool and pop and fresh anymore. <laughs> Just, young people see, you're right, exactly. they're so wise. They see yeah. through the facade, don't they? I think you're right. Yeah. And then the other thing you said was where the struggle is, is tied in. I'm trying not to go on the side tangent, but where sure. it's where I'm hearing that it's like yes, God is God is still there. I've had a lot of struggle with struggles in my life, but that's where it lights that fire or that ang- I'd say righteous anger. Because I try not to be a jerk about it. Where you see other churches being like, oh yeah, no, just pray, 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 and then you'll have rims on your rims, and everything will be everything will be gravy. You, you don't see that in, in the word, so I'm gl- I'm just glad you brought that up personally. Oh, I, <laughs> we have a bunch of these, uh, thesis on life situations, <laughs> and so one of mine is, one of the other problems I see in our church culture is, when I'm struggling, God has abandoned me, and when I'm doing well materially, God is with me. Mm-hmm. And I was reflecting on Psalm 23, I mean, it's a well-known piece of scripture, and you know, I've preached on this thing, I've read it, I have studied it, but again, the other day I was reading, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and the staff, they comfort me. And I thought, oh, 
though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't say, and you'll be whisked away from yeah. the valley of the shadow of death. It actually says, in that place, I will be with you. And so I think we have a poor theology of when I'm doing badly or I'm suffering or going through a hard time, God has abandoned me. And I wonder more and more if he's in that place more or as much if, as he ever is on the trans. Mount mm-hmm. of Transfiguration, right? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that is a better understanding that God is with us and he will walk with us. And life, you know, I have a bunch of friends who live in uh, countries overseas, particularly um, maybe what would be deemed third world. And, you know, when we talk about suffering and they talk about suffering, it always brings me back and reminds me, oh, yeah, I need to have new, fresh eyes to see that. Yeah. And again, for them, they they see God with them and I'll talk about you know my struggles and they'll talk about theirs and I'm like oh yeah you you often live just in that place we talk about I'm in this place of struggle they're like welcome to life yeah but they don't even see they say they don't even see that because maybe they have eyes to see different Mm -hmm. things and so yeah I I'm with you we uh Richard Raw he has one of my favorite lines he said certain church in the west has read the gospel as the winner's script and he said i wonder if it's way more the losers yeah script because when you see how jesus lives and then what happens to him you wouldn't go yeah no well that's a height of success he managed to lose half of his followers and then get crucified oh like that old, <laughs> old school couch surfing sleeping head on rocks and totally. then get beaten and crucified <laughs> like... yeah and then the resurrection is then when that's happened he has 40 days he's like okay Right, I'm passing yeah. this on to you. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, so, and even his way of the kingdom coming in, you know, it's one of my favorite passages is John 13, and it says, um, it's the when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But the bit before it says, when the Father had placed all things under his feet, which to me is like he has more power at that point than anyone, mm-hmm. you know, on planet Earth. He gets up from the table, takes the towel and the basin, and washes feet. So, even that idea of his height of power and kingdom come and um glory is a way to serve others so that is the loser script if we're looking at our worldview which is here's what success looks like upward mobility more power more money more material possession then i think yeah maybe we have to re yeah sorry that was like five sermons oh no i'm gonna (laughs) hey no i i love i love the sound bites and that's where i love with this where it's something springboard something we get into that conversation oh yeah this could get dangerous i laughed it might only be an hour but it might be four hours now i'm down man. okay good we'll split it up over a couple parts winner yeah part one of seven (laughs) that could be bad it's a it's like the sunday morning series right where it's exactly here's part one of 52 well that's when the pastor i always think that you start out with i'll do one week and then you're studying and researching and praying and asking god and you're like oh there's five sermons in these two verses. So then it becomes, you know, part one of 15. So And then part one of 104. We're going to this over the next two years, guys. Exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, when did you feel the call to your ministry? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, I would say, so uh, in my late teens, I went and did a year out with YWAM, Youth of the Mission. Yeah. Uh, and so part of the reason I went was I just knew I needed to grow in my faith and be discipled. So it wasn't much more than that other than I don't really have a youth group, so I want to take some time just to for me to learn and grow and figure out mission. And again, it 
you know, people have these really great stories of this is how God spoke to me. Like my YWAM story is hilarious. I was really, I was 19, really lazy. And so a friend in my church, I think the missionary lady gave me this phone number. Yeah. This was pre-internet and you could research everything and said, you should phone these people and they do a discipleship program. So rather than research everywhere else, which most regular wise humans would do, I just phoned these people and they said, sure, you can come. It's three months of training and three months overseas. Nice. So I went and uh, ended up going to India for three months, which God used to radically, uh, humorously ruin my life. Like <laughs> saw things and had a heart for the world that I never had. But the irony mm-hmm. was I get there to this training center, which is two hours away from where I lived in the UK. And I met these people, you know, people from Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii, the States, other parts of Europe. And in uncovering all this, realized, oh, there's like YWAM all around the world. But I was so lazy in my research. <laughs> you went to the one, I just went to the one down the road. Away. It's like I could have been on a beach in Hawaii <laughs> suffering for Jesus. And instead, <laughs> I'm like here two hours away. So, yeah. so I did that. And I think the reason I share that story is for me, this idea of mission and global mission and what God was doing in the world, particularly in India, I think opened my eyes. I think at that point, church, and again, this missionary friend was huge, but a lot of my church was go to church life was go to church read the scripture pray kind of be a good human ish mm-hmm. i mean that'd be unfair because i'm sure people were saying other things but that was my understanding and yet just this idea for god's heart for the world justice mission opened up um and then i think it was at that point realizing oh maybe a, previous to that i'd applied to go to teacher training school because i love sport and mm-hmm. I thought, how do I do sport with young people? I could be a phys ed teacher. <laughs> that was like my life plan. It was very well thought out. Uh, but knew I loved young people and wanted to work with them. And so when with YWAM, a few people asked me to go back and do some training with them and help out, be involved in a youth ministry. Nice. So uh, did that and just loved the idea of discipling and coming alongside and helping young people discover kind of who God had called them to be and encourage them. And, uh, yeah, again, kind of very long story short, in the midst of all this, met a girl who came from Barrie, Ontario. Um, so moved to Canada. I could say way more about that. And then um, I think all during this time, I'd had this nut. You know, you have those times in your life where you think, I think I should be involved in a local church. Yeah. But I was Jonah. Like, that terrifies me. That is the worst idea. <laughs> like, pastoring seems really hard. I don't have the skill set. I can't speak. All the reasons why I shouldn't. So I yeah. think for a while I ran away until at one point a wise mentor friend, when I was stuck in a position to potentially take a job at a church, just said to me, I think God has... The question isn't if you should be in a local church. It's like when. Yeah. And that struck me. And so, yeah, but I think all along I had this burning desire, but just felt very reluctant and would mm-hmm. see pastors who I deeply admired and thought, well look at them like i have yeah <laughs> i just don't have the gifting or the skill set yeah um but loved the but went through my journey of what's the point of the church to loving the body of christ realizing that is how god wanted to work in the world you know leslie newbegin who's one of my favorite theologians says you know the greatest hermeneutic the greatest interpretation of the gospel is a community of people who are dedicated and living it out mm-hmm. every day and so this love for the body of Christ while seeing all its imperfections. Um, thinking, oh, I'd love to be a part of something like that. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, see, if you did the uh, if you did the YWAM in Maui, you would have come to that realization in the running in the belly of a big fish. You're on the beach, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, beach mission in Hawaii. I had friends who did that, and it was so funny because I was like. I'm not going to pray for you or give you money. But if you go in the Midlands of England, people are like, oh, I feel bad for you. So that's how I raise my support, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then that's like YWAM. I've talked to Caleb about it, yeah. and it sounds like I've had a bunch of friends, so it sounds, it sounds awesome. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's probably like anything. There's some YWAM horror stories you yeah. know, that I've heard because it is very, I don't know what the word is, like, I'll say autonomous, but that's a bit unfair. But there's a lot of local emphasis on, uh, and a lot of emphasis on local leadership. So mm-hmm. you have strong, gifted leaders who are all connected, but each place you go has a different flavor. So because of that, just like any church, I would say there's places that are politically st- stronger than others. <laughs> but my experience was amazing, and right. it was very much the. I'm a bit of a praxis theo guy. So obviously there's this talk around theopraxis, like my theology informs my praxis. Mm -hmm. A lot of my life has been, I do it, and then God (laughs) says to me, oh, that's why this is uh, the theological interpretation or why you understand that. So for me, why I was great, because it was thrown into leadership at times way too early, Mm -hmm. made a bunch of mistakes. I think they probably look back and think, what were we doing asking (laughs) Matt? But learn so much, you know, in the context of doing mission, leading people. You know, I twenty one was leading teams to like North Africa and Mm -hmm. Eastern Europe. But yeah, God did so much. Because there are moments you realise, God, if you are not involved in this and if you don't be God in this situation I am in big. <laughs> I don't have the gifting or the talent or the ability to pull this off. And so you're thrown on the mercy of God. And then yeah. he he is gracious and kind and does things in ways that you go, oh, man, you are. This is beautiful. And so, yeah, for me, that I'm forever indebted. I was fortunate to go back and visit one of my leaders this summer and have the opportunity to say to him, oh, the things you invested awesome. in my life and what you showed me. I'm, what you hear now is a big part of your investment in my life and i'm so thankful for that even though at times you know I'm like i wouldn't have trusted me <laughs> so yeah why well, i'm was a dear place but i think it's like a lot of these other organizations it's not just why i'm but mm-hmm. these opportunities for young people to experience leadership and yeah and be on mission so and then sometimes being thrown in where without god you're in over your head and it's going to be a disaster <laughs> And, like, the practice is good. I think of the early church. There wasn't initially that much training where it's like, here's what a, it, here's the call, here's the mission, go. Go and do. Where there, yeah. is, there is a place for training. I'm not saying oh, we yeah, don't totally. do that. Totally. And you see, I, I mean, I guess their training was like three years with Jesus. But the yeah. beauty is they still... It was by doing. <laughs> yeah. I think, I also think, like, Obviously, huge advocate theology, mm-hmm. preach it every mm-hmm. week, so read avidly. But I I wonder if our understanding, I think what we've thought of as belief in Western context is an intellectual assent to an idea or a mm-hmm. list of doctrine. But actually, I would argue like in Hebrew, faith is actually chutzpah, right? The word chutzpah, which a lot of uh, 
Jewish thinkers would say the story where the woman reaches out to grab Jesus's cloak, the one who's bleeding, that's like that's faith, you know, because he talks mm-hmm. about faith because it's an action oriented thing. And so for me, I I think we have a lot of a lot of our theology is do you believe these things like tick the boxes intellectually? But mm-hmm. I would argue faith is much more. Well, I will never know that until I act. Because yeah. how do I know I trust God unless I trust Him? Yeah, I can say that I do and so so I think for me even that it's not just a oh that's really noble you did those things to me it's actually a better understanding so the idea of practice and doing the things of Jesus um, I think uh, we have to get a better I would argue uh, maybe if we could grow in that understanding in the church you know that yeah how do we live the way of Jesus not Mm -hmm. just know about Jesus Uh, well I, I was listening to a Matt Chandler a sermon and it might have been a sermon or it might have been a conference he did or something where he was talking about how easy it is for us to hide behind our books and just read our faith but then if we're not actually doing stuff where well here's the opportunity to live it that's where you're like that chance to me that's where you're gonna f- find out how <laughs> how deep your faith is not like it's a contest but where suddenly you're faced with a situation where it's not time to think or read where it's all right now it's time to live faithfully yeah i mean you know when you look at the culture like the jesus and uh that rabbinical jewish culture they knew the torah so they knew their stuff they knew Mm -hmm. their information but i mean friends of mine will always laugh because i say it all the time but matthew 7 at the end of the sermon on the mount jesus who was well read knew obviously all of his uh torah and old testament says so anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice mm-hmm. is like the wise man who built his house. And so when storms and life hits, it stands firm. He goes on to say, and anyone who hears my words and doesn't is foolish, which if you interpret it, some would argue like moronic, idiot. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty hard, right? Jesus is like, yeah. why would you listen to what I said and not do it? Yeah. Like you're an idiot. And so to me, I've always, that struck me that Jesus wasn't saying don't listen or don't read but if you do that mm-hmm. and then don't practice yeah. it then yeah who if, who are you and why why would you do that because that is foolhardy and so to me i think at church it's a lot of emphasis western church on on knowing things mm-hmm. but they're not asked how do we like one of my favorite authors at the moment james smith james k smith who had a brilliant book you are what you love says uh you know, we've we've thought that uh, Christians are like brains on sticks, you know, like the bobblehead. Yeah. Like yeah. we're just plowing with information, and that yeah. will change how they live. But he he argues we're not thinkers who love; we're actually lovers who think. Is his big so that's a nice whole other tangent. Yeah. But that's really helped me because I think it's true. He would mm-hmm. argue that we actually are people of desire, mm-hmm. and so we're often drawn, and our loves and our desires are the things that then lead us into our action rather than our thinking that yeah. forms our action so yeah yeah that was a good side tangent oh man i could go on <laughs> oh, yeah. forever that's a passion of mine so. <laughs> uh so you and i say somewhat because it was a couple months ago at this point yeah july and august yeah uh you were on sabbatical what was that like and the reason i'm asking you ask it, it or asking you to answer that is i know at some point other people when they're like oh you're just going on vacation it's like that's 
That's not what sabbatical is. Yeah. So walk, walk us through that. Oh, vac- vacation would have been nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think historically, if you were to look at maybe the biblical understanding, you know, uh, in an agrarian agricultural society in the Old Testament, you'd have that time of leaving the, they would say leaving the land to life fallow or uh, the year of Jubilee. Like at a certain point, we need a year of just stopping activity slowing down to refresh to replenish like back into the sabbath idea of you know work for six days rest i mean i think we've got it backwards because it's actually sabbath first then work you know god's first day on the job was resting actually after creation (laughs) so and i'm i'm very passionate about sabbath actually that's a big push for me so in church culture often it would be after uh six or seven years you would then have a year i'm sorry a few months uh, in a church no yeah that would be nice <laughs> yeah we should implement that i'm gonna do a theology of taking a year off um but a break to say how do i uh slow down reflect um, a lot of the times for pastors it can be to to write like often they're gifted authors and writers so they'll take time to write down some of their reflections of their mm-hmm. past few years and take time to do things for some it's to work on even more study mm-hmm. uh, but it's a time away from the i would say that being in the trenches the nuts and bolts of everyday ministry to take a step back and the language i'd use to be refreshed that's the idea of sabbatical like eugene peterson when he talks about sabbath says sabbath is really uh, pray and play but the idea of time with god but also not having to produce would be his line you know the egyptian mentality of we make bricks you know when they're mm-hmm. rescued it's this we're not just producers mm-hmm. we're actually creators and creative and so for me it was a couple of months of i'd done 10 years of ministry straight through and at that point realizing oh, i'm just feeling a little like tired and worn out of kind of the everyday and taking a couple of months to uh, spend time with god and kind of reflect on what has gone but also dream about the future and so uh, i was around in hamilton for a month mm-hmm. um and then i had i was able fortunately to go back to the uk the motherland oh yeah the promised <laughs> land so that was the glory um have a few cold beverages with some friends and eat very unhealthy food that clogs the arteries you like know. some amazing bacon oh man um fish and chips you know good english dish like a curry which is always ironic but all these great things and see family and friends and and actually part of it i have a bunch of very good friends doing some pretty exciting ministry related things so even just to sit down with them and just ask them questions but it was funny for me sabbatical was very significant because i it wasn't quite it wasn't a vacation although was restful yeah but it it wasn't quite what i expected i think i thought i would come back with this like golden tablets of like here's the vision for your church's future you know i've got time to yeah. dream and and i said walking down the mountain with some chiseled stones <laughs> you know here's, here it is i've got two months to to do this and i'll get all these ideas and space to dream and be creative and i said to my friend dave when i got back um oh like i felt god said to me oh you've got two months me and you and you can't busy yourself with all that stuff here's a bunch of stuff that I want you to think about that I've been trying to get your attention, you know, like what I call inner life, personal stuff. And so at times it was painful, but I think God was almost getting my attention where I couldn't just 
busy myself with a lot of other activity. And so at one point I vividly remember uh, my one learning from sabbatical was all God's questions are rhetorical. <laughs> that's my only line I'm going to yeah. use it offense like oh that's good um, he said to me at one point I was just praying one day and uh, eating some probably unhealthy British treat um, some good pastry and I felt just this line do you think you can sustain the next 10 years the way you have the last and I was like that's unfair of course I can't you know um, right and uh, but it was like I think in my younger years I survived on like my joke was I survived on um, adrenaline, youthful energy, caffeine, Red Bull, and the Holy Spirit, somewhere kind of mixed in there. Yep. And then it was this, oh, I think I need to be wiser about how I live for the next part of my journey. So for me, sabbatical was just a, a really good kind of reflective time for myself and just asking not just what am I doing, like what's my ministry producing, but actually like who am I? Yeah. You know, will I look back and think, oh, this is what I did for my ministry but it kind of robbed me of who I was meant to be or I got so weary and maybe even hardened and cynical at times that I didn't become who I thought God was creating me to be. And mm-hmm. I don't know, is it, I think it's Irenaeus. If I say that, that sounds good, like I know stuff, but I don't. <laughs> Irenaeus said, you know, the glory of God is a man fully alive. And so I've really reflected for myself on what would it be to be a person of substance, not just... I have this great ministry. So so for me, sabbatical was actually profound, but at times scary. Like yeah. a week in, I, f- I have a spiritual director, my friend Brenda, she's amazing. I joke, she's like Yoda, the Dalai Lama, and like Gandalf rolled into one. She's this South African lady who... Yeah, exactly. It's a good the mental over. image. Oh yeah, exactly. She looks better than Yoda. But um, <laughs> she's a South African lady with the most soothing accent who just listens to you for like an hour and then says a phrase, you know, and you're like... Yeah. <laughs> and I phoned after a week of sabbatical I phoned her said Brenda I need to meet you she's like why and I said my phone no one needs to get a hold of me no one needs me who am I if no one you know that yeah. idea and so sabbatical for me was yeah what if I'm not defined by what I do but what does that journey look like so um, yeah uh, helpful and it was funny because I got back and said to our church community I thought I'd be here to tell you the vision I said, but I'm just going to tell you a bit of my experience and maybe the thing I need to share with you is just what God has shown me. Mm-hmm. So rather than here's where we go. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Uh, what you said was God only asks rhetorical questions. Yeah. That's the title of your book, my friend. I know, I think so. <laughs> yeah a good line and it's a title yeah and that and i don't know what i'm doing a guide to ministry by Matt. i think that's part of it there but, you go you got a two book deal exactly which well, kind of the funny one is i've always the reason i think of that is you know genesis you know where god said to adam and eve like where are you yeah <laughs> as if he doesn't know he's just created this world he's all knowing and he's like oh man i'm sure there's a spot i forgot about where are where can they be <laughs> you know so i think but that for me was that learning but again it's that that's why God's so beautiful because he's com- he's conversational. So even though he knows, he's trying to say to you, yeah, why? And for me it was, oh yeah, I, I just cannot sustain this because, and again, I think our church is almost, we're very driven, aren't we? And often people who are in ministry are wanting to do well and sometimes for good reason, sometimes out of bad motivation, but we're always wanting to drive ourselves. And I think he would just ask us like, 
why is it to prove yourself or is mm-hmm. it for actually the kingdom and yeah. it's a bigger purpose so. yeah awesome <laughs> thanks uh and england was great that was a beautiful like oh, being I, away, I, so. oh I, I was i was a bit jealous <laughs> oh yeah a lot of people had friends who were like i'm kind of not praying for you so i was like that's valid <laughs> i mean i'll miss you but you're yeah no no I, I i was praying for you and then at other times i'm like man he's he's over in england i love england i want to go to bath he's right near bath <laughs> oh yeah bath is oh i could talk about that for a while but bath oh, is beautiful it's, it's, go to bath yes yeah, no if you're listening and you go to bath look it up it's posh but it's beautiful it's amazing and then while you're there check out saint savior's rectory <laughs> and if you're in bath and you're married and your wife's like why would you go there jane austen and they'll yeah. that. so it's the best of both and a good beer for the for the husband jane austen's there for the wife and they actually play jane austen movies there every <laughs> once in a while in one of the smaller theaters oh do they oh yeah oh yeah because her house is there isn't there you can see and uh, what she wrote and they filmed a lot of the i think a lot of her movies in bath just because it's all old architecture oh yeah be- be- and that's the beauty isn't it i mean my laugh is like everyone says go to bath and it's because it's european and italian <laughs> so yeah. the one place in england everyone should go is actually because it looks like italy <laughs> isn't that brilliant like thanks for that so. and that well heck for me also it's like everywhere there's at least there's maybe one block in the entire town that's flat everywhere yep. else there's some degree of slope yep totally. light or extreme where you're like it, it'll be a workout you'll you'll eat a lot of great but ne- not necessarily good for your food exactly but then, you but walk- then you'll walk it off totally. yeah yeah <laughs> back to the questions um what can you tell us about saint Clair community church and how it's involved in the community oh, what can i tell you um saint Clair's a labor of love for me i just feel so uh in uh, thankful for where i'm at at the moment so saint Clair, again this is probably my fifth episode of the podcast but uh it's about a church that for us sunday gatherings is three and a nearly four years old but i would argue it's been around for about six years Uh, we're a church plant from a church called grindstone in waterdown which is a great community and we're very uh, gracious in allowing us to plant um the the roots of it were i was a pastor at grindstone an associate pastor there and i was living downtown hamilton and was part of the Grindstone community and I loved it. It was a great uh, church. But over the years being there, I loved the church community, but one of the major points of dissidence maybe was I lived downtown Hamilton. Yeah. And so we're getting to know our neighbours, we're very present in our neighbourhood. To be honest, our neighbours were much better at um, being hospitable and living the way Jesus than we were. They weren't Christians, but they were yeah. just kinder than us and we learned so much about... Which, that's a side topic altogether. Yeah, that, exactly. That's a statement I've encountered so much. Oh, this so... Good. It's funny, we... Some Christians have this, oh, you moved there to change your neighbourhood. I was like, no, they were way better. I just moved there to be friends with people. Yeah. And they became amazing friends yeah. and showed me the love of Christ. But they just didn't know it was Christ. Right? Yeah. So, so it was great. So we lived in this street, uh, Fairley Avenue, and we loved it. And then, but we're commuting in to Grindstone, and it was great. Like, love my role there. The church was very kind. And then, a few years ago, I read a book called Oh, sorry, not a book, an article by Timothy Keller. Um, T. Kells. Oh, the Kells. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and obviously, he's right. So, and even if he's wrong, he's just more intelligent than me. So it's annoying. <laughs> but what do you do? It's like anti-right. Like I think I disagree with you, but. 
I can't like reason with you because you're more intelligent than me. Uh, so this article was why plant churches. And again, I went in with, well, here, Tim, this is why you shouldn't. And again, on the first page in a few paragraphs, it's like, well, Matt, this is why you should. And I was like, no, I think you're right. So, so this article would just keep me awake at night. I would think, oh, I think we should do something. And so um, went to the Grandson board. And at the time, I think they felt the timing wasn't right to do it. But a bunch of us were just, Oh, I should say. So we were in this community and then a few other people had drifted towards Grindstone or neighbours who were thinking about church would say to me, oh, yeah, I'd be interested, but you drive 25 minutes or yeah. 20 minutes. That's weird. And I would say, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the... Like, I'm... We're, we're down in Hamilton and I live, I think, nearby, yeah? Oh, yeah, but, like yeah. eight minutes away. Yeah, probably. Like, if Jill... I think of when we didn't have our car and we were in when we were in Waterdown, we were a ten minute walk from Grindstone. But I'm thinking about people who live in Hamilton who would be interested. Say they couldn't get a ride with you, they got no way of getting up there because the bus doesn't run into Waterdown totally. on Sunday mornings. And that's a that's Or even the like the idea of a regional church. So mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's a bunch of people. So in the end, a couple of friends of mine who are we were talking about how do we get just more involved in our city. We live in the neighborhood. We love our neighborhood. So what do we do? So <laughs> my friend, who's much better, I'm the pastor, but my friend Sarah and Kat just said, well, let me just start praying. Oh, yeah, I was totally thinking that too. Like, <laughs> not. Um, so we just, a few years ago, we just started praying. And really the question was, God kind of, let's pray for our neighborhood and our city and just how do we get more involved? And over time, this prayer meeting grew and... My joke is like often prayer means start strong and then there's like the pastor and the little old lady. But in this situation, it, it just grew and more people were coming out. And and so we prayed a couple of times and my friend Dave said, I thought now we've prayed, we'll go and do what we prayed about. Mm-hmm. And my friend Dave, who's cleverer than me, Dave Knox said, I think we should just keep praying and doing it. So we prayed monthly, ran like community meals, um, did backpacks for like local elementary school who's maybe kids can afford school supplies and we get getting contacted by people who would say hey can your church do this and we're like no we're not a church. we just pray we're yeah. not even a church but yeah so then we started praying weekly and again we couldn't get rid of people they kept coming so <laughs> a lot at this point probably 80 percent were in the sherman neighborhood which is where we are and where we lived and so kind of went back to grindstone and said hey i think it's more than a prayer thing i think it's a church now and they said i think you're right so they released us and so we started our sunday gathering three and a half years ago but i think our learning was the early years were wise so we had a year and a half of just prayer and being in the neighborhood and often theologians who talk about planting will say um, you need to listen to your neighborhood and figure out what the neighborhood's saying which i agree with the irony for us was Someone said, well, how did you do that? And I said, well, I went next door and knocked on the neighbor's door. <laughs> so we already lived yeah. there. So 80% of us just lived there. So we weren't experts, but I would say we at least had a feel for the neighborhood. Yeah. And so we launched out and planned this community with that vision of saying, what does it look like to, I would say, make disciples. But a disciple for me isn't just uh, someone who is... Um, a Christian who's a better Christian. I think that's where we've lost the word discipleship. I think often it's, oh, discipleship is um, self-help for Christians. I'm going to be a better Christian. A disciple is someone who, Jesus says, you know, 
make disciples of all nations, who mm-hmm. in every sphere of life, in every place you find yourself, what does it look like to live the way of Jesus and then invite others to join in that? Like it's a learner and then a disciple of others and, and this heart for our society being better. So for us, if the Sherman neighborhood is thriving and being a place where God is at work, I think the church will follow suit. So it's not yeah. just how does Sinclair get better. So our heart was very much for discipleship, for our neighborhood. And so... Um, because for us geography became a big deal so this idea of living life together not just sun i would say sunday centric christianity yeah um which again i get but asking what's it like throughout the week so we have these groups and i don't ramble on this forever but we call them missional families yeah and my cynical friends including my wife initially were like oh so small groups with a cool name (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, no, but I know you'd think that. But they're really families yeah. who live on mission. When I so. when I've described it to people, my instinct is almost always to be like, it's it's a small group. But then I'm like, it's beyond that because a small group is something you can group in with the well. Here's my Sunday check off list. But for for me, with with my job, I'm working weekends, so most of the time I haven't been I haven't been able to get out to St. Clair. I know we've got you tagged. We're watching you, Chris. I'm just kidding, totally. <laughs> but then, like, for the so the Monday night has been when my group does Mishfam. Like, that's been been the church aspect for me, and that's been wonderful. And it goes beyond just the all right. Let's just go and sit around and talk and twiddle our thumbs. Where it's no, it's a family on mission. It is. Yeah, that's. Church. I mean, <laughs> I'm maybe I'm unintelligent, but I decided what is it? Well, let's call it what it is you know it's a family that live on mission <laughs> we'll call it missional family so and, and that really is our heart right so yeah. i would so my i'm not big with taglines but we would say it isn't a once a week meeting but it does involve one mm-hmm. you know so it'd be uh, food's a big deal for us i think eating together the even the theology of food we've lost so what a meal does in a culture again cross-cultural you talk to anyone in any culture anywhere in the world they understand food and meals important. so it's based around a meal where we eat together we do look at the text together we pray together then we ask how do we serve our community and our neighborhood and then invite people to be part of the family you know i think i mean evangelism i was reflecting on this a wiser guy the media the day was talking about uh old testament understanding of uh family and he said the word redeem is much more like we're inviting people those outside of the family are welcomed in mm-hmm. and i love that because he, he often said we think uh coming a christian is um you're out there and it's an abstract like follow jesus have a great life you made a but actually it's also you're now part of something yeah and so yeah for i mean it some days it's beautiful it's the best thing ever i don't want to paint i get wary of those pastors who say it is so great like it's messy and it's hard because yeah. you really are like a family yeah. trying to do this thing together um but again the beauty as well is because we have like i don't know 14 or so dotted around the city the mission emphasis is not just let's do these big events but Mm -hmm. actually as you are together as a family ask how do we see god reconcile and restore and be part of our neighborhood and our city being better so every group would have a different mission emphasis because they're all together in different spots so st Clair's involved in the neighborhood in I'd say in 14 different ways because of that. Some yeah. it's through relational stuff with neighbours and inviting them. We have a connection with refugees. We do stuff with lots of community mm-hmm. groups. We have amazing 
friends with like Christian Against Poverty or Indwell or City Kids or um, Mission Services, whoever it might be at mm-hmm. 541. And so um, there's lots of those things going on. But again, it's a bit more through relationship. Yeah. But we do love our neighborhood and our city. And so it's not... I said to my friend recently who's not part of our community, and I wouldn't say he would be a Jesus follower, that if St. Clair thrives and grows, but other churches and our city is weak mm-hmm. we haven't won you yeah know, like if other churches thrive and our city is a place where god is at work and we have this kingdom vision it's got to be better yeah. for everyone our goal isn't just sinclair being great yeah i think that's too narrow a vision so yeah yeah and i, I love that you said that it's very unfortunately easy points for us to be like well hey our church is awesome so you should just you should just come to our church instead where it's like well y'all are still part of the body how can we make that like you said this not your church but the church in hamilton thrive totally. and not just make st Clair thrive or any number of whatever other churches there are yeah i mean yeah it's easy to try and build an empire but i think that's why jesus uses language of kingdom mm-hmm. <laughs> way more you know because he is king of the kingdom and then i would just say true I think the huge shout out for True City and the work they mm-hmm. do. This movement in Hamilton of churches working together is a beautiful thing. And when you're part of that, you realize we have a part to play, mm-hmm. but we don't have all of it. You know, yeah. so I think anytime St. Clair thinks we're the answer for Hamilton, you know, somebody's together, we're the answer for Hamilton, I would say we just can't be. We have a role to play while working with others for the city. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And I love that. But there's so many other parts. There's churches and dear friends of mine who are pastors and they have parts to play that Sinclair cannot mm-hmm. play you know the image of the body that mm-hmm. Paul would use uh, if you take that a bit a bit of a larger perspective would be yeah we all have a role to play um, yeah so I so that's a joyous thing and so just being part of Sinclair because of that feels yeah uh, yeah like a labor of love maybe so. awesome so how do you uh, determine what to preach about with the church every week? How do you plan that 156 part of the series? Yeah, so uh, we put all the books of the Bible in a hat and then we just pull it. <laughs> We're like, Lord, give me an easy one, not Leviticus this week. Not Leviticus, uh, not Song of Solomon, not Song of Solomon. Uh, that's a good question question i would say uh i'm more and more wondering about the idea of the church calendar you know Mm -hmm. in more um maybe liturgical traditions um so for example like we're coming up to advent so Mm -hmm. we'll pause our current series and we'll do an advent series when we get to easter and lent and like Mm -hmm. uh, pentecost so there's different times that i've thought oh i like that I mean the, the challenge but the beauty as a pastor is you're kind of forced to preach on it you can't escape like oh I like this I'll teach on this yeah. like with that you have to teach on a certain text we haven't gone that route fully yet but we do do like Advent Lent like Easter um, Pentecost uh, but uh, for us it's trying to um, through discussion with a few people on staff and our leadership team where where do we think our community is at this moment and what do we think is worth teaching on but not in a relevancy way so how i'd say that is but we don't just go with series 
titles or anything. Let's just do a series on this. Yeah. We'd probably more go through the route of let's teach the text, and in doing so, like which book or which part of the scripture most speaks to where we're at the moment. So mm-hmm. in the four we went in and we thought, oh, Corinthians, First Corinthians particularly, especially with a younger church community wrestling with a bunch of stuff about how do we live the way of Jesus in our current cultural context, um, in a celebrity consumer world, when issues come around sexuality. Yep. Uh, there's a whole bunch of questions. And we felt like, oh, Corinth speaks to that. So, but we, again... If you walk through First Corinthians, it's not like we have to pick stuff out. I think the beauty of the text is sexuality, family, consumerism, materialism, anxiety, stress, all the things humans are walking through suffering, as we teach Corinthians, is right yeah. there. You know, I said at the start of the church, Paul is writing to a real group of people in a real place, mm-hmm. dealing with a bunch of stuff like we are. And so to that end, we would try and teach through the text in that way i mean there may be the odd time we do a topical thing like i remember a couple of years ago we had a guy who was a huge part of our community he was a refugee from africa and uh he unfortunately uh i think it was a bad decision but he got deported and then um in the midst of it all like through relationship went missing and there was this definite sense of grief and loss. he was such a huge part mm-hmm. and people were asking where is he is he going to be safe when he goes home so we just did a a week on like loss and what happens yeah. when we grieve just because it felt very really topical or there may be an issue in our world with like yeah something may come up and we think oh for this week because it's so profoundly affected our community yeah you may want to teach about that but yeah i think teaching through certain books and asking and a big part of it i'd say i'm going to try and wind up because every answer should have been two minutes but it's like 25 <laughs> is uh for me a big part of it is actually helping us understand the story um, the word yeah. we often get in our culture is, hey, people are biblically illiterate, which I wouldn't necessarily disagree with, but the assumption is, if we just know the Bible better, here's how it will, as I said earlier, affect us. I think we actually don't know the story and how the story of God fits together, this sweeping story from Genesis through Revelation, and then how we fit in to the story that God is doing. And so I think because we don't know the story, so often we'll do stuff each year around how do we understand the story better? Because that actually affects then how our church functions in light of that. So, you know, Genesis through Revelation, not just, as Andy Crouch wonderfully says, Generation 3 to Revelation 20, you know, fall to the lake of fire. Often that can become, but actually Genesis 1 all the way through. So so I think story within that Mm -hmm. and then teaching. So... Yeah. Again, each answer I could give you loads of things, but that's my <laughs> short as I could say. So, yeah. So we, uh, yeah. My closing is: we're not as topical. We won't be the classic like topical stuff. Not that we want to avoid that, but we figure if we teach the text, you kind of get to that. Yeah. Topic in doing so, and it's it's easy to just be like, all right, well, let's just do topical. Let's just respond. Not saying that it's not important to do that, totally. but. Yeah, I love that approach. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I'll pay you later, Chris. I'll give you the envelope full of cash. <laughs> That's good. Just keep agreeing with me. I'm like, oh, I like Chris. I'll oh, come right. back. All right, well, here you exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's your extension on your house. So. Oh man. Uh, so, are there any uh, any particular pastors, author, authors, theologians, artists <laughs> like that you uh, that you learn from that you'd recommend to people? Oh. Uh, this is where the podcast is the 15 part because i <laughs> uh 
uh, where to start. I want to say I think I try and read widely as much as I can. I'm I would say I'm not a great read. I wasn't the classic like oh, avid reader. Mm-hmm. I'd say I've taught myself to read because I know the importance of it. So people often say that to me. Well, I struggle as a pass because I'm not a great reader. I'm like, oh yeah, I just realised this is vital to me, and I try to have a practice of reading. Um, and again, widely, not just my stream. So I think yeah. often it can be, I like this guy because he agrees with me and I love his stream. So whether that's, you know, Anglicans uh, to Charismatics to Catholics, to, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that stream is, I try and read because I think everyone has something that we can learn from. And even stuff that's not just Christian yeah. literature, even what's happening in our world and our culture around us and just understanding that because i think we do need to understand our culture yeah and how people function as much as just reading so uh oh this is just off the top of my head and the list could be a i'd have a longer list than this but yeah. it's literally off the top of my head because i look at my bookshelf and think i'd want to rec-. people often say to me what would you recommend i'm like well here's 50 <laughs> so uh huge one of my friends all that i love eugene peterson's writing as a pastor mm-hmm deeply profound to me i think my joke is at times he's through the holy spirit changed and rescued me his heart for the vocation of pastoring right. and the care for the church and so honestly i'd even say anything by peterson i mean the pastor which is a book about his life as a pastor but you know um working the angles and the predictable plan like a lot of his stuff um i just think peterson in his vision for pastoring is beautiful and um, just reclaiming that maybe we're not there he often talks about we're not there to just run the church like yeah. I said I never wanted to just run the church I wanted to pastor a group of people Yeah. and his heart for loving people you know he really references you know try to learn to love the people you've got not this idea of a church that you dream of you know, so yeah. so helpful so um, Peterson for sure um, uh, Richard Raw. I've appreciated some of his insights. I think he's not the best theologian within my critique of Raw, but his insight into the human condition um, and where we're at is very helpful. He's two halves of life stuff. Tim Keller, um, I love Keller. Again, I think uh, wouldn't agree theologically with everything Keller says, but um, again, great, a good past, just a good pastor. Yeah. I think when I listen to his message, all I can think of is, you're annoyingly brilliant. <laughs> you have a wonderful insight into the text, but you have sat across from people and listened to them. Yeah. I think that's what I always think of Keller. Not just, here's the text, so you should do this, but you can tell he's actually really listened to yeah. people. Um, N.T. Wright, huge, with big picture, again, like the story, um, new creation, what is going on in the resurrection, like, uh, who are, like, uh, other people that I think have been really helpful that the, wouldn't just be pastors but guys like um, Andy Crouch his understanding of culture his latest more recent book uh, Strong and Weak um, his understanding of power and how that's used I think Andy Crouch is a um, wonderful author but not as well recognised in maybe mainstream uh, Christian circles there's a guy who's a bit of a gem who is an Australian guy again not as well known called Mark Sayers okay. part of Red Church in Australia he's brilliant I would say for understanding culture and then how the gospel speaks into that he's he's a pastor but i do also maybe argue an anthropologist like he's really good at that so um 
That's interesting. Yeah, so he wrote the book Vertical Self, which was basically a look at uh, what he would call like Project Self. How basically, even in the church world, it's basically been, how do I improve myself? Like life is about me, like yeah. Project Self, rather than uh, what does mean that the gospel is how we give our life away. Yeah. So he wrote a book, Disappearing Church, which is one of the best modern day looks at the church in Western culture nice. to my mind. So Mark Sayers, with that like missional guys like Leslie Newbegin, uh, his stuff on mission and how we then speak back to our culture uh, hugely influenced me. Um, this summer, like uh, Ruth Haley Barton wrote a book, uh, Strengthen the Soul of Your Leadership, about the mm. inner journey. That was in my journey with the inner life. Right. Um, really the life of Moses and like his journey and very much like how's my soul I have a bunch of stuff to do but actually how am I doing um yeah I just read recently Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that was again I read it a few years ago one of those books I don't know if you do this read it a few years ago and then it's like that's so brilliant and then life happens, so it goes back on your shelf. Yeah, yeah. Pull it back out. I was like, that was brilliant. Maybe I should actually think about the implications of this. Um, I mean, other well-known theologians, and then, um, yeah, I could ramble. Like guys like I love revisionist history podcasting, like Malcolm Gladwell's stuff. Um, even understanding like how our culture functions, and just. Um, and I have a friend I'm going to give a shout out to Liesl she'll laugh she gives me like a book every time I meet with her <laughs> gives me another book to read on justice and issues of justice right. and it'd also be really important um, honestly yeah I could Yeah. I don't want to ramble on because I literally have so many yeah. and I th I'm even thinking of my bedside table because that <laughs> changes like I was reading a book recently on the Enneagram and like how uh, who we are and understanding ourselves and why the Enneagram is important so S uh, Sunday when we had church uh, here and I was running on like an hour sleep because I worked in overnight. Yeah. The conversation of Enneagrams came up. Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> so that was there for a good two hours. And then Monday night at Mishfam, <laughs> I brought course, yeah. back up. It's just very interesting stuff with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, maybe one of the guy I do appreciate that I would definitely give a shout out is a guy called John Tyson, who's in New York. Uh, he was part of Trinity Grace previously. Not sure what he's. I think he's church the name's changed in his church but again a wonderful teacher but good thinker he's in new york so he's often asking how does the gospel penetrate the city yeah find myself in and he we reads widely and so um yeah I, again i the idea of reading and knowing that he this is important for someone who's thinking through these things as a yeah. leader but again the breadth like Oh, I'd have to say now. I cannot say now. And all my friends are like, "Why didn't you say Henry Nowen?" But <laughs> Henry Nowen's writing again on the beloved, um, the self, like Brennan Manning. Oh, yeah, I could keep. Yeah, just as soon as I think of someone, but yeah, and now yeah. and the journey and healing for your own self. So, um, there's so again breadth of, like, I'd say, certain type of theologian or even planting praxis you know the guys like alan hirsch i've appreciated michael frost like in that mode to now and and raw and these others who are ruth heady barn like the inner life so yeah. trying to do a breadth rather than just one yeah type so nice and that it's it's good to have that variety yep. sorry uh listener if you heard that there's a phantom doorbell in the house Amazing. and i can't find it so every That's once so in a while 
there's no doorbell to ring, but you just get that noise. It's, it's quite interesting. I thought the house was telling me, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Even the house is on to me. Hey, like, stop talking. So, um, so just because you, like, you grew up there, and you were back there earlier this summer, so yeah. you've got an interesting perspective. What differences do you see between uh, the, the state, I guess, of the church in Canada and the UK? Oh, that's a really good question. I like that, Chris. Um, in some ways, I'd say my experiences being Canada and the UK are much more similar than I would say Canada and the US. Okay. So, um, and in fact, a lot of people, it's funny, who are in Canada or even I would say more progressive cities in the US look to the UK often for their, like, under, like guys in New York and Seattle a bit more. Yeah. Maybe have gone, oh, how do we learn from like the uk because of the culture and i think that's because it's po- very post-christian mm-hmm. i know that's i'm sure it's more than that now there'd be another word for it but i'm yeah. not clever enough to figure that out but i mean my experience of the uk growing up was a very post-christian culture the assumption that people were christian understand morality or christian ethics or christian roots like this christendom had just fallen in the uk so maybe even there'd be a pocket of the older generation that went to church but if you were younger you went to church because you actually believed it and fun, yeah. not just because it was a cultural thing to do um, which i think freaked out a bunch of people but i think led in beautiful ways especially within the anglican church but maybe some others to ask some really good but hard questions about how now do we live the gospel in light of this yeah and so i think that shift you know there were studies about thousands of young people leaving the anglican church and i think so rather than going oh well we're just going to die i think in a lot of cases they went so what does that now mean for yeah. us? Um, and so I had the same experience, like working with young people. You know, I'd have people say, "So hard they don't know they don't have a biblical history. They don't have a uh, they don't have the same ethics. You know, that maybe a Christian society had." And I would think, "Oh yeah, but to some degree, they don't have the same baggage. So you have to teach them." But actually. You know, they would come to youth events we ran or our Bible studies or youth group things and they would just think, this is great because yeah. they didn't have any lens of this should be terrible because they just didn't know anything. <laughs> They'd never been to church. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I think showing the gospel to those people was a wonderful opportunity. So in the UK, I think I saw a turnaround where yeah, across the board, maybe for the institutional church, it felt like, what are they doing? But I would call the the language one author rabbi jonathan sachs calls creative minority that that's often where the church functions best not when it's the uh national religion but yeah. actually when it's this creative minority this small group of people living out the way of jesus so i think that's where i left the uk when we we're just on the cusp of that and coming to canada now i feel like we've moved into that yeah position here which is a bit similar which is asking the question like post christendom yeah. How do we now live out where, you know, I grew up, my family was, you just go to church every week. Yeah. You know, now to twice. Um, again, because of, like you alluded to, shifts and work and changing patterns. Like mm-hmm. Maybe twice, what would be church attendance twice a month is probably consistent for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I'll, we can either bemoan that, like, oh, no, we <laughs> long for the good old days. Or my line would be, how do we see what god would want to say into that. yeah and so so i think in that sense similar um and therefore exciting i'm not one of those like doom mongers i just think 
it's a great so again that's why we're looking at corinthians i think like this religiously pluralistic culture that's comfortable mm -hmm. in some cases in the west like some parts not everywhere obviously but maybe well-educated a bit more affluent mm -hmm. um how does the gospel speak to that who would say hey we want to have a good conversation and push back on your religious assumptions not just well obviously this is what we think about morality yeah so um yeah so i think in that way very similar whereas again there might be people from the states listening so i want to be very careful often i think it's different so i'm a bit wary of just like a canadian going down to the southern u.s and going this is what it means often hearing influence where it's maybe southern parts of the states where the assumption is oh people know this you know like yeah in hamilton if you go to st Clair and someone walks in off the street i would not assume they know even anything about the bible yeah. like where things are in the bible yeah. so some weeks i'll even say hey we're looking at uh, the gospel of luke which is in the new testament it's one of the four go you know just unpacking that yeah. bit without assuming well you know this because you grew up again, yeah so. yeah and you kind of alluded to uh this this a bit during past questions and this last yeah. one what do you feel is a difficulty faced by the church today <laughs> a difficulty <laughs> you gotta narrow it down to one <laughs> thanks chris uh, i need to pay you more um one thing i do want to say which i often hear is uh being a pastor and living as a christian is harder than it's ever been and i'm like oh please just read the bible again yeah because i just don't think that's true. i think every generation every you know like I don't know people aren't chopping off my head yeah no every no. sunday for preaching the gospel so well when i hear something like that i'm like okay it's it's, it's harder than it might have been recently because the church is coming out of that position yep. where everyone's like oh we're all christians because it's culturally good to yep. be that where right now it's it's not so much yeah so then it's it's a lot more challenging but that's yeah and so i so i'm very aware yeah. of that and i never want to say that because i do just think oh Tell that to those people in China who are hiding underground because people literally are out to get them yeah. and kill them. Like, we don't understand that. The irony is I do wonder if one of the challenges because of that is maybe this comfortable world in which we live. Mm -hmm. And not I would I don't even want to go after money, but even like lifestyle and this um, comfort level in our culture that is almost doing like a couple years ago I was in Uganda. Uh, talking to a bunch of pastors with some friends we do some training then we had a Q&A time and this one guy was so great it was a Ugandan pastor said oh can we ask you about prayer and we're like yeah great and they said why do you why do you guys pray a lot in Canada and we're like you're a pastor like it's prayer and he said well you've got everything you need you know when you go to your fridge and you open the door like why do you need to pray for your food because it's there he said whereas quite literally they say give us today our daily bread because they don't know if there's gonna yeah. be food and so Sad. i wonder at time like he could see he could even see for us like oh that would be an issue because if you think you can do it by yourself and this again project self idea yeah so i mean there's way more but that would be one thing of that understanding um of discipleship and the call of discipleship in a culture of comfort and then i think just honestly how do we communicate the good news of jesus and try and explain who god is when the church hasn't always done a good 
church you know i think that people do look at the church and what the church does is get defensive like oh man you know i can't believe it everyone's out to get us i'm like i don't know we've maybe got a reputation because yeah <laughs> we've not always been the most loving yeah. place you know like i did something recently on paul's opening to his letters which is grace and peace mm-hmm. i think oh how often do we go into conversations with people or relationships with grace and peace we often go in with here's why you're wrong and here's why we don't want you maybe we we want to convince you here's our answer rather than hey we actually want to listen to you understand you and love you with the good news of jesus it's that classic here's we want to ask if you can be part of this thing yeah jesus in mark says the time has come the kingdom of god is near repent and believe which I think is beautiful because the way it's written there is God is already at work. Mm-hmm. He's inviting you into it. We go, oh, we want to check if you're allowed to come to be part of this thing. I think the gospel is come and be part of this thing. And in doing so, God will reveal who he is. Yeah. And so this us and them mentality. And so I think just that idea of how do we have good just discourse, like civility and mm-hmm. discourse. Not, again, when people hear that, they go, so we're watering that we're not preaching the gospel we're so i'm like no we're actually being accepting i think that's actually an understanding of the scripture but in doing so we still stand for things but often it's more everyone knows what we're against and who we're after and who we don't like yeah and so well like furtick like stephen furtick said in the elephant room and a lot of people as soon as you mention verdict they're like oh i'm against him i'm against him like i don't agree with everything the guy says but to me this was a bit profound where he's like he said he was sick and tired of everybody knowing what his generation is against and not what they're for and that's i think a case with the church where it's like oh we're we're against this we're against this we're against this like there's a very much true sentiment in the gospel of come as you are now that doesn't mean you stay that way totally. but it's not me it's not me to be like no all right invite you to come as you are oh but by the way you gotta you gotta do this now you gotta do this now and here's this checklist before you can come in and i think you know like i'll be honest i don't think we trust the holy spirit mm. enough right because we we think we have to control like maybe the holy spirit is about transformation and if we just trust him he will do the transformative work that the holy spirit does in people's lives it's almost like we feel like well we've got to do it all and so here's why we need to control this thing or do yeah. this thing and you know maybe as my friend brenda often says oh the holy spirit's always at work and mm-hmm. and and he's transfer now that again that doesn't mean yeah we obviously have a theological position on this or mm-hmm. we think about this or we explain this you know we fully believe Jesus was God. You know, mm-hmm. like we understand the Trinity, so we stand there. But often, it's we've used, I even think, secondary arguments, not even primary arguments, to bash people with, and then gone. Well, why wouldn't you want to be part of this? You yeah, they go. Yeah, I think because you're a mean person. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because like, is Jesus transforming your life? I thought this was good news. Yeah, right? and so, so to me, again. There's a bunch of other, I don't know if it's the primary issue, but I see that and think, what does it look like to actually, and again, not just have an opinion, but live the way of Jesus. And, Mm -hmm. and yeah, Jesus is a beautiful mix, isn't he? Because 
it seemed like the religious people had the most issue yeah. with him consistently. Now, he did say, unless your righteousness is like that, as in live rightly, mm-hmm. live justly, but they were the ones who seemed to have the most issue because he was often pushing back to those that are on the outside Yeah, are actually maybe the ones close. You know, the Beatitudes... Oh, I think that isn't do these things. I think it's more the kingdom of God is available if yeah. you are. That's Dallas Willard's. Oh, Dallas Willard. Author, like, <laughs> like one of my favorite. Yeah. I should talk like Willard. Um, yeah, I was talking to a good friend yesterday who was talking about like those on the margins and how we, what does it mean to have those that feel like they're on the margins closer to the center? Because mm-hmm. Jesus continually did that well. And again, in a maybe more affluent church culture, what does it mean to be about those who maybe feel on the outside? Jesus is always pulling those that feel on the outside closer to the yeah. centre. And so, and allowing them not just to f- us feel bad for them, but to them have a voice and often lead us, right? Because we often go, yeah, we feel bad for them, so we should do something for them, rather than saying, oh, what can I learn? Maybe they're teaching me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I th- <laughs> my last point was, uh, in our missional family, uh, we have a family who come to be part of ours and uh, the daughter in the missional family uh, invited a friend who has no church background and has never been to church and she invited her and then she's come back to church and now comes regularly to missional family and I just remember thinking you're a way better missionary you should be speaking <laughs> you know like she's this like what seven year old girl yeah. who's invited a friend and has befriended her and said hey here's what we do and here's how we live and I just thought again those on the margins, but also those that are vulnerable, those are the weakest. What could we learn from them? And I just remember seeing her interact, and yeah. it's like, yeah, I brought my friend. She loves church and missional family. No faith background. And I thought, oh, you need to teach me. Like I, faith of a child, right? Totally, faith of a child. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. There's no clear segue. It was a, no, I know. I know yeah, there's so, no, no, there's that, so that much to a, say. I'm like, yeah, no. Your no. questions are good because it annoyingly gives me like 25 minutes worth of answer. For no, and that's the, that's the thing where I love with these where this is one, like one of the reasons I always ask the same questions. Yeah. Like some of them are di- slightly different, but I noticed when I used to do these just in paper form, I'm like, you could ask a group of people the exact same question and if you didn't get a different answer you'd still get a different perspective yeah and that's the interesting part yeah so. that's good uh what has been your biggest struggle as a person in pastoral ministry because a lot of people are like oh the pastor's the perfect one where no where like you, you well <laughs> no, maybe other pastors would say no but it's it, like the attitude of like you're you're still a person you're still in your faith you still have struggles and part of the interesting part of this to me is i've seen it in the church where it's like oh it's all riding on the pastor where if the pastor encounters a struggle like everyone else does suddenly like all right let's let's old yeller him or <laughs> the church the church collapses i'm getting way deeper than i intended but huge oh yeah, yeah. no i this pastor on the pedestal thing mm-hmm. I think is um, is a I don't know if it's my challenge but it's a huge challenge for pastors this public persona some way of living up to things um, and and I actually think that's a bit of a problem with how we've done ministry so it's basically I do all this stuff and then 
uh, there's a phrase in England, the Englishman's home is his castle. And then at the end of the day, the pastor goes home, pulls up the drawbridge, and then life is a mess, mm. but comes back out the next day with this joyous, you know, smiley persona, like, yeah, yeah, everything's okay. So I've always tried to, even in my messages or with people, be as honest as I can be. Nice. Now, that doesn't mean I am not joyful because God is at work. I mm-hmm. think it's the authenticity of he being honest about, you know, Paul says in Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. What we hear there is, well, Paul's pretty arrogant and I couldn't do that and pastors are meant to be like that, therefore I won't be a pastor. I don't think Paul's saying that at all. I think Paul is saying, I'm trying to follow Jesus and as one author says, we don't need a perfect example, but we kind of do need a flesh and blood mm-hmm. example. Yeah. So in light of that, just try and follow me, knowing that in following me, you'll also see my flaws. Because later on, Paul also says, oh, I'm the worst, I'm the chief sinner. Yeah. So I don't think Paul's saying, look at me, I'm perfect. He's saying, follow me because I'm trying to follow Christ and maybe a step ahead of you. Not even a step as in better than you, just yeah. maybe I'm older and more experienced mm-hmm. in this. Um, and he does say, you know, we've got loads of guardians. We just have many fathers. And I love that language. So to me, part of the pastoral challenge is we see a guy on a Sunday for an hour and a half, hear a great sermon and assume he is great. I'm not. So then we put him on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I would argue fathers are people who say not just here's what I say, but come and watch me, li- learn from me, be with me. So again, missional family is a bit of a way to say, how do we just see people live life? So, mm-hmm. you know, my missional family have no illusions that I'm perfect because they see me around their kids, our kids, in our family environment, how I treat my wife. And they're like, oh, that's trying his best, but he has a lot of room <laughs> to grow. And again, I think we've got to yeah. separate that. Just here's what I do. And then here's how I do the rest of my life. But even pastorally, like how do we live? Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest struggle, oh, there'd be a bunch. I think for me, just... Um, continually this I I want to be a good pastor and do well and try hard so God will oh God will like me because I do it so this working too hard doing too much Mm -hmm. striving trying harder uh, trying to balance family life and this whole thing around performance like you said earlier and being driven and so rather than maybe God loves me and that's the starting point. So ongoing. And then the ambition bit, like I I love I think I've always thought I just want to make a difference with my life. Mm-hmm. And but then that ties into like ambition and so on purpose I made a bunch of decisions around not trying to promote myself or do profile because I think you get caught in that. I'm success how successful you and what's every pastor yeah. ask? How's your church? Which really is how's the finances and how many people are coming and are you getting bigger? Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it sounds good to say how are things going, but that's what yeah. I'm asking. And so for me, the struggle just around yeah, overwork and then thinking, I want my wife and my kids to like me when I'm older and how do I do that well? And I think that's just ongoing and not pushing my family to one side, which is easy, so easy to do for the cause of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, well, they're the primary people I've called to love and disciple. Yeah, so. yeah. And that's it's interesting that you brought that up where like unfortunately I think for pastors and then the expectations people have for them is like, oh, they're doing all the stuff and this is where I have that beef with the pastor on the pedestal. Where it's like, oh, they're doing everything in the church. They're they're expected to be there every single time where the 
their family, their immediate people that they're supposed to love and help grow, kind of get shunted a bit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. Let's, like, I'm, you're coming to church because I have to be there. Or, like, I'm skipping out on the Christmas Eve time with you guys. Not saying Christmas Eve church time isn't important, but I'm skipping out on important family time. Totally. Because I'm expected to be there. Yeah. I'd love to see a little bit more of a balance and on the church side understanding, like, yeah, Matt's, Matt's the pastor. We'd love to have him here, but he's also a father and a husband. He's family time's important. I think it's just, for me, it's integrating them more. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think they've been too separate. Yeah. And we got to somehow integrate. And part of that is just, I mean, this is podcast 57 because this is like <laughs> how we structure our churches. I'm passionate about that. I think we, our structures and the way we've done church has lent itself to mm-hmm. that. So then we go, oh man, I can't believe that pastor. He fell. He made a mistake. Psh, next. Yeah. And we get the next guy. He struggles. But I'm often asking, oh, is maybe the structures we've built haven't been helpful? And then it's just the, so my language is the culture we create. Mm-hmm. Maybe the culture we've created needs to be looked at. That's yeah. not to say it's all bad, because obviously pastors have a personal responsibility mm-hmm. and we need to do that. But maybe we've not created the best culture and then we're reaping that. Role. Yeah. So. Well, at some point when you see that kind of, not rotating door, but when you're seeing it and it might be similar issues... It's not like what's wrong with the person. Yeah. What what are we doing that's possibly set them up to to fail? Totally. Or stumble into this. Uh, what are some of the ways you see the Lord at work in the UK and then in Canada? We can centralize it to Hamilton or the wider. Psh, oh. Uh like I said earlier, I'm not a doom. I'm a glass half full. Yeah. Does it all the time. That's just my persona anyway. Um, yeah. I'm a. It's gonna be fine. That's my wife's always laugh. It's like no matter what, I'm like it'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think a, in the UK and Canada, because I think there's similarities. Just a realization on that last point, even, just that, the gospel, is good news. It's beautiful. It's the message of Jesus. The the way that gets communicated through our church community, we can discuss church structures mm-hmm. and push back on some ways of doing things that I think I see in Canada a lot where people are doing that in healthy ways and saying, you know what, just because we've always done it that way mm-hmm. doesn't mean we should do it that way moving forward. But we still want to be in our community, share the good news of Jesus. So that message necessarily hasn't changed. So I think, yeah, just seeing churches really get back to a I mean the words overused and I, as I say it people are like oh he said missional but this idea of being on mission the church not being so introspective but mm-hmm. realizing oh there's a world out there and how do we join again we don't have to go and do stuff but we're joining God in his mission that God is already at work in the world so I see churches really responding to that well thinking about how do we love neighbor how do we love our neighborhood how do we even in evangelical circles, the movement toward a more contemplative, slowing down, like I talked to a lot of people about Sabbath and rest and learning that we not don't have to be driven all the time, but actually we need to create space to be present. Like one of my favorite quotes in the last few months was, I think it was Phil Kennison, you know, the greatest gift God gives us is the gift of his presence and the greatest gift we give somebody else is the gift of ours. And I love that. Like, nice. It's so good. Like, yeah. 
God is present and then we can be present and just slowing down enough to see and love people. So so I see God and doing some really good stuff. So for me, it's not. And Hamilton particularly, like, psh, what a place to be. Like the church thriving, so many good pastors. You know, it's funny because people can show up to St. Clair, let's say on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and say, oh, we're new here. And I don't have to go like, come here. Because we're like, the, I can honestly say, and I have done, honestly, anywhere you go in Hamilton, there's great churches. So you may awesome. not be a fit here, but there's so many good, and I can recommend to you now five different churches that I know the past as well. They great people in their neighborhoods trying to live the way of Jesus. So in Hamilton, I think we're in a rich time, and that's because so many have plowed the ground before us. Yeah. So I think God is a work in new forms and new ways, reminding people that it's about jesus it's for jesus the gospel is good news and in light of that how do we then live it in different ways so and it's similar in the uk so i'm not a i'm maybe super optimistic so hey optimism isn't a bad thing man (laughs) (laughs) and finally uh what would you say to someone thinking about pursuing a vocation in ministry I joked earlier with Chris. I was going to say, <laughs> "Don't do it," and there would be a silence, and then the death then we, march, like imperial march, like, in the background. All right, well, thanks, Matt. <laughs> exactly. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. After everything I've said, yeah, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, um, be hilarious. Oh, uh, what would I say? Um, it's it's hard. It's challenging. Tim Keller once said, "Ministry either makes you a much better follower of Jesus or a much worse one." <laughs> and there's wisdom in that you know I've, I've seen yeah. that there's days you think man am I even a am I even a Christian like the way I'm responding so so it's challenging but it is beautiful like the vocation the the idea that God can call me to pastor a group of people and gives me his grace to do that what a pr- like it's a privilege to me every day I do wake up and this I mean there's days it's hard I'm like what am I doing yeah what a comfort and watch Netflix and there's other days I'm like oh what an absolute privilege I love this I love this community I love these people um so see it as a privilege and I would say anyone thinking about it um pull mentors and people around you who can encourage you in the journey um and um, consider your own walk mm-hmm. you know like um, how do I nurture my own soul? How do I think about my family? Um, but it's it is a beautiful, rich, deep calling, and um, don't just pay it. Be intentional to pay attention. I think often pastors, I well, I wonder if after a few years in it, they look back and think, "Wow, it's like ten years later, and who am I now?" You know, mm-hmm. they almost have these deep regrets about who they are. But that intentionality, I'd say now, I'm more passionate than i've ever there were moments where i wanted to quit yeah (laughs) that's my honesty like days i'm like i can't do this i need to quit but actually looking back now because of some of the things i've tried to pursue and do in my life i'm like no this is a beautifully rich vocation again because to use eugene to close because that's always good (laughs) i i don't want to run the church that's not what i want to do but i do love the idea of being with a group of people asking where God is at work and pointing people to Jesus, that there's nothing greater. So Awesome. All right, well, thank you, Matt. Thank you for uh, coming on and answering these questions and taking Thanks, time Chris. out of your very busy schedule. <laughs> <laughs> trying to slow down, trying to slow down. <laughs> all right, and I uh, hope you all enjoyed. Thank you for listening, and uh, God bless, my friends. Take care. <laughs>